I want to show you uh, a couple verses that uh, I've been reading recently. I've uh, been going through the last few weeks in my quiet time, the book of Proverbs. And this past week in chapter 14, uh, there were two verses in chapter 14, verse 8 and, two, and verse 15, that were very similar. I'll read them for you. Verse 8 says, The wisdom of the prudent. And as I read this, I'm praying through this and telling the Lord, this is what I want to be. I want to, I want to have wisdom. And I want to be a prudent person. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, to consider, to map out, to make good plans, is the wisdom of the prudent. Then verse 15 said that a prudent man, and this could be translated prudent person, a prudent man gives thought to his steps. Again, plans them out, gives thoughts, makes some strategic plans. And as I was reading that, my mind went back to three weeks ago when I was preaching about divine judgment. Can you remember back that far? Divine judgment, where we're going to be judged by Jesus, remember, for eternal destiny, the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. Judged for eternal destiny, either the lake of fire or the new heaven and earth, the new Jerusalem. And we're also going to be judged by Jesus, if you remember, for eternal rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. In 2 Corinthians chapter, 10, uh, chapter 5, verse 10. And as I was thinking about that, I was realizing in order to be prudent, in order to be wise, we want to give thought to our steps. We want to give thought to our ways so that we're prepared for these judgments. We can be prepared for the great right throne judgment simply by putting our faith in Christ. But this other judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, to make sure that we have those eternal rewards that are given out at that judgment seat of Christ. So I wanted to th- think about this week, how do we prepare for this judgment? We're going to look at a parable that Jesus told about preparing for judgment. How can I earn abundant rewards from Jesus at this judgment? Uh, now this parable, it's in Luke chapter 16. I uh, just want to remind everybody, if you don't know this, that, that parables are uh, a story. It's an allegory. And in a parable, there's one main point that Jesus is trying to get across. Now, there can be some supporting points in there, but not everything in the parable is parallel to what Jesus is trying to communicate. There's one main point. We're going to look at that, and there's a couple supporting things about that parable. The context of this parable, Luke chapter 16, it's about three months before Jesus goes to the cross. So this is about January of the year 30 A.D. that Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 16. Now just prior to this, in the same time frame, Jesus told three parables in Luke chapter 15. Do you know what those are? Three parables about three lost things. Do you remember what those lost things are? Lost coin, lost sheep, and a lost son. I'm sorry, I can't get, it's tough to get participation when everybody's muffled. Jesus told these parables about lost things that have become found by the Father, and there's great rejoicing. Those parables are directly connected with the eternal destiny, eternal destination judgment. Lost can become found and enter into eternal life with Christ. And then he follows that up with Luke chapter 16, telling this parable about 
we're supposed to do once we, once we become found. How do we prepare for this eternal judgment of getting rewards? And let's take a look at that. Luke chapter 16. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager anymore. In other words, you're fired. Clean out your desk. You've done a poor job. Adios. Verse 3, the manager said to himself, uh, What shall I do now? My master's taken away my job. Uh, i got to go clean out my desk. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called each one of his master's debtors. So he's on his way to clean out his desk here. But before he does, he got the master's debtors and he asked them, How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly. And make it 400. That's really shady. That's really dishonest. Verse 7. We ask the second, How much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. Well, he told him, Take your bill and make it 800. Again, this guy is really shady. Really dishonest. Well, the master, what did he do? Did he bust him? No, the master commended the dishonest manager. Why would he do that? Did he commend his dishonesty? No. He commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. How did he act shrewdly? This is what he said. I tell you, Jesus said, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Now that sounds shady too, doesn't it? Manipulative. Use your wealth to gain friends. What do you bribe people to be your friends? Let's keep reading. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So that when it's gone, when the worldly wealth is gone, when you've got to clean out your desk, when you when you're it's time to die, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling. Well, what does this all mean? What Jesus is saying is use your worldly wealth now. Use the resources available to you now on this side of eternity, like the shrewd manager did before he cleaned out his desk. Use those resources to lead people to Christ so that they will have an eternal dwelling in heaven and they will welcome you into those dwellings when you go to see them later, when we're all there in that final judgment. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus is telling them to do. Imagine when we get to heaven, and somebody that you led to Christ is there. They have their home in heaven, and they see you. They said, it is so good to see you. In fact, I'm here in heaven because of you. Please, welcome. Come into my house. Let me show you the house that Jesus built for me. And I'm here because of you. You're welcome into their eternal dwelling because of how you used your resources here on earth. Does that make sense? I gave to these missionaries. And somebody that those missionaries led to Christ is in heaven. And they say, hey, 
I never met you before, but I know you gave to the missionary, and they shared the gospel with me, and I'm here now because of them, and they were able to do it because of you. Welcome. Come in. Let me show you my home. That's what Jesus was telling them. That's what was commended. Not the dishonesty, but the shrewd use of resources now to benefit yourself later. Jesus goes on to say in verse 10, Whoever can be trusted with very little now can also be trusted with much in heaven later. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Verse 11, So, if you have not been trustworthy, if you have not been faithful in handling worldly wealth, the resources that we have now, who will trust you with true riches? So if I do not use my worldly, earthly resources for things of God, then God will not entrust me with treasure, with true riches later. Does that make sense? If you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So property in heaven, treasure in heaven, rewards in heaven will be our own forever. Because of what we do faithfully with God's possessions on earth. And that, that is the main point of this parable. The main point is that what I do with earthly resources affect eternal rewards. The shrewd manager used the resources that were available to him before he was gone, before he cleared out his desk, to benefit himself later. After he was gone, what did he do, or what he did with his present resources affected his future benefits and his future rewards? Jesus was telling his apostles here that becoming a believer and follower of his was not the end of the story. Remember in Luke chapter 15, three things were found, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. They became saved. They became found by confessing their sins, asking Christ for forgiveness, eternal life, escape eternal destiny judgment by putting our faith in Christ. But that's not the end of it. We still have remaining days, remaining years on this planet. And God has instructed us and entrusted to us these resources, everything that we have, our talents, our treasures, our time, to use those things now Use those earthly resources now because it affects our eternal rewards later at that Bema seat judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to look at today just a few specifics about these earthly resources, about these eternal rewards that Jesus points out in this parable. First of all, verse 9, if you remember back to verse 9, says, To use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, Earthly resources will one day be gone. We all have an expiration date on these earthly bodies. We all have an appointment with the ground, with the earth, whether it's by cremation or bury our body. Our soul will live forever, either in heaven or in hell, but these bodies, they will die. And when they do, everything that I physically have will be gone. All my resources will be gone, not mine anymore. A couple years ago, uh, we got new cell phones. And my old cell phone, I had a memory card.
card in that cell phone. And um, when we changed cell phones, we pulled out the memory card, set it in the box, and the, the technician was in our home there. He was setting up the new phones for us, and he wasn't able to put the, the memory card back in. That was my job. Well, a day or two went by, and I forgot to put that memory card back in the phone. And that box accidentally got thrown out. That memory card, gone. Gone forever. I had been to Poland a year before that and had been to Auschwitz and Birkenau and Krakow, the old country. I was also in Germany, in Czech Republic, in Prague. And all these pictures that I had, gone. We're good. A month before that, I had been to the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. I was doing ministry with native leaders. And all my pictures, gone. I was able to go to the Crazy Horse Monument in the Black Hills. The Crazy Horse Monument was being sculpted by a Polish guy and his family. And it had been going on for decades. And Crazy Horse is a famous native chief. One of my good friends is a famous native chief. And we got our picture together, a Polish guy and a native chief, in front of Crazy Horse being sculpted by a Polish guy of a native chief. That picture is gone forever. A couple years ago, I shot the biggest deer of my life. Most of those pictures, gone forever. I can't get them back. And once I die... I no longer have any more opportunities to earn treasure for heaven. That opportunity is gone because my earthly resources will one day be gone. Now, I've been using the word my a lot, my earthly resources. But that's not really the case that they're mine because earthly resources are not really mine. Verse 12 says, if you have not been trustworthy or faithful with someone else's property, then who will give you property of your own? You see, what I have now is not really mine. It's someone else's. My earthly resources, my time, my talent, my treasures, they're really they're, they're someone else's. They belong to God. God has entrusted them to me and to you to use for him, to use the way that he wants you to. Stacy and I have lived in five different rental homes. One of those rental homes uh, had a bathroom that had red carpet in the bathroom. Um, carpet's never a good idea for the bathroom, but this was just a, a nasty, ugly-looking red color. We had to call our landlord to get permission from him. Hey, can we rip out this carpet and put in some laminate tile in there? We had to get permission from him because it wasn't ours. It was someone else's. It was his. It was not really mine. We wanted to paint the outside window uh, surroundings or windowsills. We had to call our landlord and ask him for permission because it's his. Um, they just did some work on the bathroom here at the church building. We don't own this. We rent this. We had to call the landlord. Lisa had to call and get permission because it's not ours. It's his. Well, almost 30 years ago, I was a youth pastor at a church in Pennsylvania, and I was taking our students to Pittsburgh to do
do a mission service project. We had about 10 students going, and my little minivan wouldn't hold everybody, so we had to rent a van. Church didn't own a van. We rented a van. Car dealership had a van. We rented the van. We drove down to Pittsburgh, and as we were going through tunnels in Pittsburgh, anybody ever been to Pittsburgh? Put that van into neutral and rev that engine to about 7,000 RPMs to make it really loud in that tunnel. The kids thought it was cool. I, th- I thought I was cool, but I wasn't cool. I was a fool. That was stupid. That was a dumb thing to do. While we were on this service missions trip, we would work hard during the day, and then one evening we went to the mall, the local mall. I broke the kids up into groups of two, and we did a scavenger hunt in the mall. And it was tied to a Bible teaching I was doing that night. And as we were going through the parking lot of the mall, there were speed bumps there. And you know what the fool did when he came to the speed bumps, right? He sped up. And then he, when we bounced over them and the kids almost hit their heads on the ceiling, we laughed. I thought I was cool. was really a fool. And I would say something dumb like, it said speed bump, so I had to speed up for the bump. Something dumb like that. I was not faithful with someone else's property. And for years, I always wanted the church that I was a part of to have a van. It was so frustrating to try to arrange all these different rides, to rent vans for doing things. It would be so much easier if we just had our own church van. But we never had our own church van. And I think partly or mostly because I wasn't faithful with someone else's property. So why would God entrust me with our own van if I wasn't responsible and faithful with those other vans? I want to show you a picture of a car. What do you think about that car? That was Stacy's in my rental car last week. When they got there, they found out it was our 30th anniversary. Hey, let's upgrade these guys. And they offered us this Dodge Charger, and I wasn't smart enough to turn it down and say, give me something else. So we're driving around in this thing. We drove by some 10-year-olds, and they thought, wow, look at that cool car. So at least somebody thought it was cool. But that Dodge but wasn't our property. It was a rental. So I wasn't monkeying around with that thing. Last Saturday, we tried to drive up to Mount Rainier, and the GPS took us on Route 165. And if you do a Google map of Route 165, it goes right up to this lake in Mount Rainier National Park, and we thought we could hike around there a little bit. But what the GPS and what the Google Maps didn't show was about the last uh, 12 or 18 miles was gravel road. So we get on the gravel road, no worries, it's a rental car. I slow down to about 20 miles an hour, we're able to go, and we're climbing this mountain. We're going from about 500 feet elevation to 4,000 feet, so we're going up around these. But pretty soon we start getting these big potholes, I mean like like a foot deep potholes, and we're down to about four miles an hour, and I'm trying to maneuver these things. And one time there's just no way to miss, and we hit a pothole at about two miles an hour and bottomed out on that car. It hit the frame on that, and like this is not good. And so we didn't get up there. We had to turn around on this crazy mountain gravel pothole road, partly because it's not my car. I cannot hammer what doesn't belong to me. I don't want to hammer what does belong to me. The things that you have are not really yours. So your car, not really yours. Your house is not really yours. Your abilities, your musical abilities, your athletic abilities, your ability to work and earn money, that's not really yours. A lot of people in our church have servant gifts, a lot of great servants in our church. Those gifts are not really yours, not really mine. They belong.
to God. And if I faithfully use them for Him, doing what He wants, He'll reward me for those. So when we have our work day out here, and so many of y'all came out to work and to serve here for Him using your gifts, He rewards you for that. If you've got athletic gifts, Chuck has been coaching baseball for almost 40 years, and he's using those gifts again because they're God's gifts to serve Him, to help kids get connected to, to Jesus, He'll be rewarded for that. God rewards those earthly gifts, and they're not really mine. And these eternal rewards given out at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, they're of highest value. Verse 11 says, If you have not been faithful in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? He uses that word, true riches, and this is the only place that it's used is right here. True riches. These true riches are the eternal rewards. Our earthly riches, it's not that they're false, opposite of true. It's just that they're fading. They're not false. They're, they're fading. But eternal rewards, they're forever. They're not fading. They're forever. They are of highest value. It's much better to have a little bit now and much later in heaven than it is to have much now and just a little bit later in heaven. In Matthew 20:16, Jesus said, The last will be first and the first will be last. He's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Where some people who have a lot now and they're first in standing in this world will be the least in heaven because they've done nothing with their resources now. But some people who've got just a little bit now, and I've got friends who are ministry leaders and pastors in Haiti and Tanzania, and when it comes to earthly wealth, I mean, they make about the same in a year that we would make in a month or a week. They've got very little resources, but they're faithful with them now, using God's resources now, and they'll be the first in heaven. They'll have the most there, and that is of the highest value. These riches later in heaven, these are the true riches of highest value. And guess what? They are mine to keep. They are yours to keep. Verse 12 says, Who will give you property of your own? This property, these eternal rewards, this treasure in heaven, given to you by Jesus himself at his judgment seat, will be yours to keep forever. What we have now is fading. What we'll have then is forever. Jesus, in Luke 16, was instructing his apostles to prepare for this judgment. Use the earthly resources that you have now, these lives that you have that aren't really your lives, they belong to God, they belong to Christ, to prepare and store up these treasures that cannot be taken from you. They are of highest value. Because, and here's a back to our main point, because eternal rewards are obtained by being faithful with these earthly resources. In verses 10 through 12, the word trusted or trustworthy is used five different times. And this word, this word is translated, besides trust and trustworthy, is faithful. So if you're faithful, if you're trustworthy with earthly resources, you'll be given and trusted with eternal rewards. Whether you have a lot of earthly resources or a little bit of earthly resources, if you're faithful to use them, for what God wants you to do, the way He wants you to do it, you will obtain 
three months after Luke 16, Jesus, just before going to the cross, tells his disciples uh, another parable. It's about faithful and unfaithful servants. They'd been entrusted with resources. And to the ones who were faithful, this is what he said. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. You've been faithful with your earthly resources that belong to the master. They're not yours. You've been faithful with them. Because you've been faithful, I will put you in charge of many things, eternal rewards that are yours to keep. Come and share in your master's happiness. It makes Jesus happy to give eternal rewards to his faithful servants. That's good news. It makes Jesus happy to give eternal rewards to his faithful servants. We still got a little bit of time, so we're going to get practical. We're going to close out by getting practical. What are some specific things that you and I can do to earn these rewards? What can we start doing today? Well, how can we use our earthly resources to get these rewards? What can we do now to prepare for this judgment? What can we do now to give thought to our steps as prudent people? Five things. First of all, just want to suggest um, that genuine and humble prayer earns rewards. Your time is a resource. And Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, 5 through 6, that using your time to pray will be rewarded. Let's read. Jesus said, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by everybody. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, your motives matter. If my motive is personal gain, if I'm doing these things for God, but they're really for my own personal gain, to get recognition for me, to get praise for me, then that's your reward. That praise and recognition you receive, that's your reward. You're not going to be rewarded for that later if your motives aren't right. See in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, He will reward you. So use your time to pray. Not to be praised by people, but to genuinely and humbly pray. What are some things we can pray for that will be rewarded? Pray for lost people to come to Christ. Pray for neighbors, relatives, co-workers to come to Christ. One of the things I do when I, when I travel is I'm sitting in an airport or different places, different countries. As I see people, I'll pray for that person. I don't know their story. I don't know their background. But I can pray for that person. When you buy clothes for the clothe kid, pray for that child and that family that they will come to Christ. Pray for lost people. Pray for other believers, people in our church body, to grow in their faith in Christ, to become mature, to become disciples of Jesus. Pray for each other that way. Pray for people who are hurting and suffering. We share every Sunday morning different people who are hurting and suffering. If you watch the news and you see somebody who's going through something difficult on the news, pray for that person. Pray for the hurting and the suffering. Give thanks to God. Uh, sit and maybe make a list of all the things you're thankful for. I'm thankful, God, for this air conditioning. Thank you that you gave us this building. Thank you that the rent and utilities are reasonable and we can afford them. Thank you that you've provided for our needs. Thank you for different family members. 
Thank you for people who have been difficult for me and critical of me and a thorn in my side because they've made me better and you've used them to refine me. Thank God for these things. Pray for our missionaries, Alyssa Soy and Michael Titus. Our missionaries, pray for them and their work. Uh, Thank God that El Salvador is opening back up and Alyssa can get there soon but needs to finish getting her funds raised for that. So please pray for our missionaries, for their funding, for their work. Keep praying for our church that we'll be successful in our ministry of making disciples who know Jesus, follow Jesus, serve Jesus, and obey Jesus. Uh, Pray for the ministry of our church, the outreaches that we do. Uh, This morning I woke up at 5 o'clock. Didn't want to. I was awake for about 50 minutes. And during that time, I prayed for you all. Everybody who's part of our church, prayed for you all. Uh, Prayed for this morning that we would be genuine, generous, and joyful when we meet. Pray for those things for our church body. When you're reading your Bible, pray, God, speak to me. Give me direction. Give me power to overcome sin and temptation. These prayers, these prayers are rewarded by God. Another practical way to prepare for judgment is to love like Jesus and love for Jesus. We love for him on his behalf because that's our motive for him. We love like Jesus. See, when we love people the way that Jesus loved people, we'll be rewarded for it. How did Jesus love people? By showing kindness to other people, mercy to other people, generosity to other people. Encouraging words to other people. Serving other people. Showing hospitality to other people. Just smile at somebody. You might have to dip your mask and smile, but sometimes people can tell by your eyes. That can lift somebody's day and encourage somebody just by smiling at them. Being polite to them. Being a good listener like Jesus Rejoicing when people rejoice and mourning with people when they mourn. Forgive other people. Be patient and bear with other people. That should be on the top of Facebook, shouldn't it? Be patient with other people. Bear with other people. Don't get so bent out of shape. See, when I love like Jesus did and I do it for him, not for me, not for recognition, then I'll be rewarded. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, verse 41, I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, if you do it for me, because you belong to Christ, will certainly not lose his reward. In other words, if you love and serve and show hospitality to someone in Jesus' name, you will be rewarded for that. Another way to prepare for judgment and earn rewards is Intently seek after God. And um, what does this mean? Um, I'll be honest with you. I was actually wasn't even thinking of this when I was preparing this message. When I was thinking about it and studying it in Luke chapter 16. But as I did more study and more research, I came across this Hebrews chapter 11. And in verse 6 says, uh, "Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and." that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And this word earnestly means intently, intensely, to really focus on seeking God, seeking to know him. And honestly, I wondered, 
What does this word here mean when it says you'll be rewarded? Does it mean they'll be rewarded now on earth? Because as I seek God, and the more I seek Him, and then I find Him, that's a reward in and of itself. Man, I found God through Christ. I have eternal life, found His mercy, and I'm saved now. That's a reward. Is that what he was talking about? That earthly reward now of finding Him. But as I, as I studied more and dug deeper later on in chapter 11, verse 26 is talking about Moses. And it says that he, Moses, regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. These earthly treasures of Egypt, the higher, highest value uh, is not that, because he was looking ahead to his rewards. And here's that same word for rewards, and it is about eternal rewards. So if I intently seek after God, I receive eternal rewards for that. So if you devote time, seek God intently, you'll be rewarded. How do we do that? Remember, Bible's our middle name. Freedom Bible Church is opening His Word, digging into His Word, listening to sermons. And and any of our, I think, over the past two years, almost two years of sermons from Freedom Bible Church are on our website. You can listen to mostly audio of those. But read books that help you to grow. Now, there's a lot of crazy books out there. Maybe I should put that on our website. Here's some recommended reading for that. But anything by a guy named Erwin Lutzer is really, really good and will help you to grow. Find a mentor. Ask somebody to disciple you. Take advantage of our men's disciple group, women's disciple group, young adult disciple group to grow, and you'll receive eternal rewards. All right, just two more. Second to last is give money to accomplish the work of Jesus. The money that you and I have, remember, it's not ours. It's God's. It's someone else's. He has entrusted it to us to steward, to use the way that he wants us to use it. Matthew 6, 1 through 4, Jesus said, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Remember, motives matter. goes on to say in verse 2, So, when you give... When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by people. I tell you, they've received their rewards in full. The recognition that they receive, that's their reward. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So given to God with right motives for His work to help needy people, both physically needy people and spiritually needy people, that will be rewarded by God. And Paul goes on to agree with that. He says in first to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present world, and you might say, well, that excludes me because I'm not rich, but hey, given, if you look at the whole world right now, we're all rich. If you look at right now in time, you're going back over the whole 4,000 years of human existence, we're very rich. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who owns all the wealth anyway, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So what we have, it's okay to enjoy to have a decent car, to have a decent home, to have uh, a motorcycle, to have... It's okay to enjoy what God has given us. But here's what we do. Verse 18. Command them 
with our wealth to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Do with God's resources what he wants us to do. Verse 19, In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age in eternity so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So giving money to accomplish the work of Jesus will be rewarded, whether it's given to a church that is doing the work of Jesus, given to a missions or a missionary, or personally to help people, that will be rewarded. Finally, maybe the most important way to practically prepare for judgment is helping other people prepare for the great white throne judgment by sharing the gospel with them. Remember verse 9 said, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You know, the idea here is clear that if you lead people to Christ, they will have an eternal dwelling in heaven and they will welcome you in probably with great joy and gratitude because you told them the gospel. In 1 Corinthians, in the, the, the church in Corinth, there was a guy named Paul who helped start that church. And then there was a guy named Apollos who came and he helped teach the people to grow in their faith. Uh, people were, were forming two different allegiances. I'm for Paul. I'm for Apollos. I'm a disciple of Paul. I'm a disciple of Apollos. Paul wanted to clear that up, and he said in 1 Corinthians 3.8, the one who plants, he was referring to himself, Paul, he started the church, and the one who waters, he was referring to Apollos, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. We're united in this purpose, and that's the gospel. That is making disciples. And each will be rewarded according to his own labor. So what he's saying here is we're going to all be rewarded for sharing the gospel, for helping other people have their own eternal dwelling. Over the next three weeks, we're going to learn more about this, how we can become prepared, able to share the gospel with people so that they will have eternal dwelling, so we will store up eternal rewards. So the challenge for today for this week. Memorize. Uh, our memory verse would be Matthew 6.20. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then our reading this week would be Matthew 5-7. through 7. Some of the passages we read today are from there. And Luke 16-18. through 18. What does Jesus say after this for storing up treasure in heaven? And then be, begin preparing for these eternal rewards by praying, by giving, by serving and loving, by seeking God intently, and by sharing the gospel. Let's do that this week. Let's pray together. Father, we, we, we thank you for your word. Uh, honestly, Lord, this parable for a long time wasn't sure exactly what it meant. It's a difficult parable, um, misunderstood parable, but it's really clear what you were talking about, Jesus, to use the resources available to us now to benefit ourselves later. And I pray, Lord, that, that we as a people, Freedom Bible Church, we would do that. That we would have great treasure in heaven because of what we do for you on earth, Lord. Because of how we grow as a disciple, because of how we make other disciples. And, Lord, as we're doing that, that's going to impact other people. Bring other people to heaven with us. Um, we want them to have treasure as well. 
Father, we, we, we marvel at and we, we sing praise to your great name. We bless your name uh, with our soul, Father, and all that's in us. And we, we thank you for this opportunity to store up treasure in heaven. And I pray that we as a people would do that. Thank you again for your word. I pray that we have grown and been transformed today, Father, through Jesus. Amen. All right, we will see you next week. Glad that everybody could be here today. And uh, be wise, be safe, and let's be prudent people who mark out our paths for us. God bless you.